Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Net Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 9. Louise Campbell's session asking whether we are making appropriate use of liver nurses and advanced nursing professionals in NASH patient management and education. In this conversation, our nurse panelists describe conditions and challenges in their work and consulting environments today. A common theme is that we are missing opportunities to educate patients earlier, or frankly, treat them earlier, because nurses are understaffed and under-resourced and dealing with pandemic-related issues, including lack of resources and too many patients presenting with advanced disease. If we are to drive earlier treatment and education to minimize transplants, cancer, and deaths in the upcoming NASH pandemic, nurses have a critical role to play. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Louise Campbell. We talk a lot on the podcast, Steve and myself and all of the other guests, about care pathways for liver disease, but specifically NAFLD and NASH. We talk about comorbidity management. We talk about its interaction with all of the other diseases because we don't tend to ignore them, but we do tend to see ourselves ignored in the way back. And I think you four have highlighted really, really well the sort of breadth of nurse specialists bringing and nurse consultants bringing a different dynamic to the care of patients. So to design any pathway for liver disease, it is absolutely intrinsic that we look at where we can best utilise nursing care to its maximum. And now that can be in different settings, it can be different regions of the world. One of the reasons that we wanted to do the podcast this evening is to how we can share those strengths, how we can get people to think outside the box. A nurse is a highly undervalued, underutilised tool in a lot of areas and helping your nursing teams develop could be one of the biggest things that we can do for any patient in liver disease care and we've seen it in diabetes care we've seen it in gastro IBD nurses and cardiology so what I wanted to do was raise the question of we've recently had the Lancet Commission report published just before Christmas now there's two areas of that that I wanted to start with today but we'll start with looking at health discrimination you've detailed very well all of you how highly regarded and how high we can put nurses into the chain to help look after liver disease patients from HCC to competence to helping the care, to hepatitis C in prison communities, hepatitis C and behavioural change in men who have sex with men, for example. So when we talk about health discrimination, we talk about most of the population of this country, UK specific, Patricia, you'll be able to comment on this, going into a hospital, being admitted and not having, if you are not in a liver unit area, any single person who knows about your disease. And I participated in the NCPOD report and we only rated 47% of people who got care for alcohol-related disease end stage as even good. So I'm going to start with Michelle. Do you think we discriminate in where we place patients? How can we change that? And what are your thoughts on it? Because you've done an awful lot of work with the competency documents to try and improve that. Michelle Clayton. Thank you, Louise. What I would say is, and when I listen to you, it strikes me that NCPOB back in, I think it was 2012-2013, published the report measuring the units. And that very clearly stated that patients who were admitted with alcohol-related liver disease, normally in a decompensated episode, were poorly treated in terms of the access they received. That might have been because there wasn't a a specialised hepatologist 
within a, a district general hospital or even a gastroenterologist that had some interest in hepatology. And it's interesting that we're probably about 10 years on. And I think in some respects, there is more interest in hepatology. We've seen a lot more clinical nurse specialists being promoted into roles within district general hospitals because they have had a gastroenterologist with an interest in hepatology. So we're starting to see some of those issues chipped away. Realistically, when we look at it, we have to go much wider and we have to go back to the fact that to be able to tackle liver disease, and it's reflected very clearly in the Easel Lancet paper that's just been recently published, is that the health inequality is so vast in terms of people with liver disease generally. When we review the data and we see also the correlation of COVID and again that health inequality, we're nearly mirroring in terms of our liver patients that health inequality that the COVID patients have also had. So I think there's lots of work to be done, particularly on more a population-based level, but we are starting to see some improvements, but that's not consistent. And that's where we have to continue to promote clinical nurse specialists within the liver environment. We should never forget that nurses are actually the largest workforce in healthcare in whatever country. And actually having those nurses trained to identify risk factors for liver disease is also tremendously important because we have to think we have a tsunami now of liver disease we need to prevent the next generation as well so actually utilizing nurses training them up to recognize what those risk factors are and start to do some behavior modification is really really important thanks Um, patricia switzerland what's the level of competency on the wards do you sense do you think there's a good level of nursing knowledge across to provide care patricia kunstler that's a difficult question i would say when come patients in contact with nurses when they have a liver disease, in, in Switzerland it's quite late. It's when they arrive at a hospital with a proven liver disease or the decompensation and then we have to say we have very good nurses, we have wards with specialized nurses and we have, as I said before, we have also advanced practice nurses who take care for this patient group. But before on the prevention level, outside on a population level, I would say in Switzerland, the nurses are not involved. Here we have the medical hierarchy. I don't know how to say it. So physicians are in the general practitioners are involved and we have no financing for nurses on that level. So probably you can say if you enter the hospital and you arrive on our ward, then you can be happy because you have access. But otherwise, it's very difficult. Okay, anything to answer what Michelle and that said? May I just say in terms of, I agree with Patricia that it's probably reflected around many, many countries and even in the UK that there is this wealth of opportunity in terms of getting nurses to identify risk factors in the population but it hasn't been necessarily recognised in as you call it that hierarchical perspective of the medic. They see nurses 
still within certain parameters. That's what we need to be changing. We need to be standing up and, and really using our voice to say, we can help you. We can actually make a difference. What you need to do is invest in us and then we can start to actually utilise our skills to change this population level perspective that we've got with liver disease at the moment. Yeah, absolutely agree on that. Catherine Jack. With the view on um, inequalities, this is where there are sometimes not enough specialist nurses to be able to serve the populations as well. And although England is a very small country and it's quite densely populated per capita generally, there are still pockets of of England that are very rural and don't have that easy access to healthcare. So I'm thinking Cornwall, Lincolnshire, Cambridgeshire particularly and these are parts of the country where people may need to drive you know two hours to get to their nearest hospital so one of the things that we've certainly done and we've been advocating throughout England is having nurses who can be more community focused so we're employed by the hospital and part of the medical team as normal but we are able to travel out and meet people and certainly this has worked with viral hepatitis in that we've been able to send staff to go and visit at different community drug teams in small pockets and small towns and do testing and identify who's got a problem and then treat them. A lot of places have access to portable fibre scans so the nurses can take those out and complete the whole assessment and have a really meaningful health education conversation at the same time uh, and bring it all together. So, you know, the, the impact that a nurse can have is very strong. With regards to ward nurses, I I suspect that we're probably similar to other countries in that there are fewer nurses available and the patients in hospitals are much more acutely ill than before. So it becomes quite hard and quite challenging for nurses on the ward to actually sit down for 20 minutes with a patient and say to them, do you understand why you're here? Do you know what cirrhosis means? Do you know what you can do to make life better for yourself? You know, do your family understand? And all of these opportunities have been lost. And it's a time really to start calling for more nurses, as Michelle says, to have a stronger voice and to start to collectively put this back on the agenda that health education and information is just as much a valid part of nursing care as checking pressure areas and giving out medicines. Yeah, and I think you you all make an excellent point, is that also that people are becoming sicker. I think, Stephen, one of your recent publications was that although cirrhosis wasn't necessarily increasing, it was the decompensated cirrhotic population that was increasing. Now, obviously, that's where PAM comes in with the liver cancers and that. Even from a liver perspective, we would see that a liver cancer unit is highly specialised. So, PAM, do you have any issues with knowledge you probably have high level of knowledge within there to support your medical colleagues with this pam o'donoghue i mean i i can't seem to shift my mind from the kind of current state of affairs on wards and i know that won't last forever and you know patients on the wards are extremely unwell cancer patients are presenting at really late stages wards are short-staffed and i I just can't see how ward nurses as much as it, it would be great if the patient nurse ratio was a good number and they had time 
time to sit down and say, do you know what your cirrhosis is? In the foreseeable, I can't see that happening. I just can't see the ward nurses being able to have that time with patients. So then, of course, it potentially all needs to come back onto clinical nurse specialists and perhaps more clinics, not necessarily at the centres, maybe a bit more outreach where you're going out to the hospitals or something virtually. Because, of course, one good thing that COVID brought us is the virtual potential going forward. Everybody's a lot more amenable to it now, and especially patients and families. They've had two years of video consultations. And and, and I think there's a great opportunity here to utilise that more. My fear is we're not going to achieve much on the ward front, I don't think. And somehow we need to to bring it back out onto the nurse specialist. Just thinking about time as well. Certainly when I was doing the Serafinip Nurse Clinic, I could spend an hour counselling a liver patient on management of their side effects from Serafinip. And and I understand that the newer treatments like the, the immunotherapies have a lot less side effects. But nonetheless, when they do get effects from those treatments, they can be extremely serious. So they have to be counselled to the same level at the start. And you would spend an hour, an hour and a half with a family and a patient. And in the end, A, I was sick of the sound of my own voice, but B, the numbers of patients coming true, it was there was just not enough hours in the day for me to counsel them. So actually, in the end, I did recordings and I would play the recordings in a room and then I would go next door and get on with the next patient and come back. So it was also looking at smarter ways of using my time. I wasn't able to expand the team at that time. There wasn't another me. So actually, I had to use my time very, very carefully as well. So I was thinking about, Kay, what you said about when they go out to the houses and do their fibre scans, whether you can leave some sort of video recording with all the advice and the information so that you can get on and do more scans and see more patients, because I think that's where we're headed. I think resources are going to be hugely strained upon for years to come as we recover from this. There's huge backlogs. There's thousands of cancer patients across all tumour types waiting for treatment. I just think time and resources is going to be really challenging going forward. And sorry to be a bit grim about it, but for me, I think it's really important we start to look at more efficient ways of working. I don't think you've been grim enough. I mean, I I really like the idea of leaving more sort of audio information. Yeah, I used it in my, it was was a saviour in the Serafina Clinic. I must confess as well, there were times when there was four or five patients waiting for counselling and we actually did it in a group. If we gained consent from each family and said, would you be happy to join other patients um, whilst we do the Serafina counselling? So you could, you had the choice of listening to something audio for 40 minutes in a room by yourself with your family, or you could sit with some other patients. We allowed about four or five patients in a room together and we did the counselling together. And actually that supported them striking up relationships with each other and supporting each other as well. Pam, I'm just glad to know that doctors aren't the only ones that don't have it all figured out. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week to look at different estimates of the size and structure of the NAFL and NASH populations in the U.S., U.K., and Germany, and to ask what we can infer from these different estimates about the scope of the disease today. Until then, keep your distance, stay safe, enjoy the weather, whatever it is, as best you can, and we look forward to seeing you soon on Surfing the NASH Tsunami. Stay safe, surf on. Bye-bye now.